us women. Close the windows? No, no. It's always good to have kids in the background. Well, and you're, you're saying we're by the lake, you know. We're so. by the lake, right? We're it's the, the proof. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's being murdered. They're, they're just playing. Like, like Mary Helen said, you know, why, why claim that you're in some exotic location if you don't actually hear the background and stuff, you know? We might right. as well. You could be anywhere. I know. <laughs> You know, for for an imaginative fiction writer, it's amazing that she's like, we're just not going to bullshit people here. <laughs> like, what the hell are you talking about? On the other hand, we might be bullshitting people here. We might still be in my house in Santa Monica, just dubbing in children's sounds and and lake wind. <laughs> I remember one of the episodes of Serial, like you know that you know that podcast Serial. Mm-hmm. They, uh, one of the women was the main woman. She was she was on location, like uh, doing research, or you know what I mean, like uh, reporting on a story in mm-hmm. another city. And so she was staying in a like a Motel Six or whatever. And to record her part of the podcast, she went in the closet, and she said so. Like it was really interesting. She was like, "Okay, so I'm in the closet of my hotel room," <laughs> <laughs> and oh it was God. great. It was like it somehow was more imaginatively engaging to imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, Valerie, right. I hate to tell you, but you know, since we're going to be discussing transgression. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask you to go into the closet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, I will go in the closet. Okay. <laughs> now close the door. <laughs> <laughs> I've rarely had a closet big enough to actually get into. <laughs> I'm a little wide. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess I forgot to say that we're back on, on the air here with Valerie Lakin, Acme Writing Academy, with uh, yours truly, Rick Crisman and Mike Magnuson. Yep. Bob Clark. Bob. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Bob. The tennis match is over. We've been, <laughs> we've been vying with Wimbledon today. And uh, Valerie's you... bummed because we think Rafa lost. He did. I, I forsook my opportunity to watch. Roger and Rafa play today in order to be here with you. Be here with Acme. Oh, That's dedication. At Acme. That's dedication. Yep. Mm-hmm. The check's in the mail for sure for this one. <laughs> we'll, I'll take know. my cut. We'll, 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 act, we'll write it for a little more. They did give me two mimosas. I'll drive two, apparently we'll I'll drive two, two hours for we'll, two mimosas. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> well, we were going to take you to uh, dinner and buy you perch. Oh, I yeah. love perch. <laughs> it is. It's me good. too. Red Supper Club, Wisconsin yeah. Supper Club. Yeah, I like it when That's they the have the, the little um, the salad dressing boat with the three the three dishes and the oh. handle on the top, and they That's bring it over really to your. Good. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a quality supper club experience. Have you had schmelt? <laughs> yes, I like schmelt. Mm-hmm. Schmelt or it's, smelt? It's spelled S M E L T, but in Wisconsin we pronounce it schmelt. We do the schmelt fry. <laughs> we <laughs> they're no. tiny little fish, right? Right, but you get a bunch of them. You get a big old. They're small fry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're little, yeah. Have they're you ever sh- had bass cheeks? <laughs> or walleye cheeks? It's walleye cheeks. Oh, walleye, walleye cheeks. Walleye cheeks. Walleye. I, fish, like- I love fish cheeks. In China, when they serve you the whole fish, you know, it's always the lucky person gets the cheek there digging with your chopsticks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking to Mary Helen about that, I think. Just to pregame, Mary Helen will be beaming in from China tomorrow. And mm-hmm. uh, today we have Valerie Lakin. I, I, I want to say as somebody from the... Milwaukee area, it's pronounced Milwaukee. There is no L in that, right? Milwaukee. Right. Yep. Milwaukee. I'm from Milwaukee. I once, some of my Russian, when Milwaukee. I moved to Milwaukee, my Russian friends said, How do you, that, that city is so hard to say. And I said, Well, you don't say the L. And they said, That doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> 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 they, they struggle with the W sound. 
Whenever we would say wow, they would go wow. They just they don't have a W sound. Who is this? Russians. Just, oh, just random they're Russians. Russians. I had a s- same problem with a Chinese friend who was who was always criticizing my accent when I spoke the little Chinese I spoke. And every time I would say, okay, Wang Shi, then pronounce the word world. <laughs> Could not oh, be done. That's mean. Don't even go there. You better not even try it. They don't have an R. It's going to not come out well. No. <laughs> you can't win that one. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> he's a musician. He's, okay. he's, you know, I was banned from the country. <laughs> no, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, we gave each other endless shit, so... Which makes him a token Midwesterner, because that's what we do in the Midwest, right? I think so. We give a pile of shit to the people that we like. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And the people that we don't like, we just kind of ignore them. You give them nothing. Right. Right. See, but other we, parts of the country... Sometimes we're extra nice to them, to the people <laughs> that we don't like. <laughs> Bless their hearts. That's what makes us so tricky to understand. Uh, I love that part. I know, yeah. right. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, Good hello. to see you. Nice to see oh, you. But uh-huh. you're wearing that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that shirt. <laughs> Have no, you we lost would... weight? Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> no, the best Midwestern compliment in the world, the non-compliment is, that's different. Yeah, that's different. Right. Oops. Oh, oh yeah, I think I still time. get that from my, my mom. My auntie. That's yeah. different. So I, I should also mention that uh, Valerie is also an instructor at the Undisclosed Location. Yes. Mm-hmm. When which, I can find it. When you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't have even given your last name. But anyhow. Oh, I would be so much more candid if you had never given my last we name. Could, maybe <laughs> from now on, would you like to just be individual number six? Sure. <laughs> okay, so individual number six was at the undisclosed location <laughs> giving a craft talk about, well, I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> no, it was about transgression, and which is interesting because we're just talking about how Midwesterners have their own peculiar way of transgressing. Subtly. Subtly. And I love this. I was, I was reading it. And it's basically the idea that, you know, we live in a normal zone and then we cross out of the normal zone and all hell breaks loose. Is that pretty much 11 pages summarized in once? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hell doesn't break loose right away, but in order for a story to happen, you got to get out of, you got to get the character out of their normal zone, right? right? If we just do all the things that we normally do on a normal day, like I, sometimes you get a really young, like undergraduate and they say, I just want to write a slice of, real, slice of life story. I just want right. to... You know, just day by day, just this student wakes up and goes to the dorm cafeteria and then goes to class. I'm not interested. That's not a story. Slice no. of life could be, be a vignette, but it's not a story until something out of the ordinary happens. When they cross that boundary from the normal zone into what I call the story zone. Bum, bum, bum. So, right. A vignette. It's like, uh, I, think, I think somewhere in your. Uh, Story you talked about the difference between an anecdote and a story. Yeah. And that it has something to do with transgression. I think that an anecdote can in, often involves a transgression, but there's no consequences. So, like, my example is if, um, if I am standing in line at the post office and the guy behind me at the post office punches me in the face, mm-hmm. and then nothing comes of it and we just walk away, and I go, oh, that was weird. Right. And nothing else comes of it. And I don't know him and I don't have to have any future relationship with him. That's an anecdote. It's a weird right. thing that happened. You say the weirdest thing happened today. Yeah, at the exactly. Post office. Right. It's a weird thing yeah. that happened that you get a little anecdote out of. You tell some people and they go, huh, that's an anecdote. It's not a story until there's like some, where if, if it's my ex boyfriend who punched me in the face or like 
you know, my sister's husband or something, somebody who I am tied to and I can't just walk away from, you know, then there's consequences and then you have to deal with the consequences and there's meaning to the punch. If there's causes and consequences, then it can maybe become a story. Without causes and consequences, a transgression is just grounds for like an anecdote. Bob? What? Oh, I thought you had something to say. No. He said he agreed. Uh, yeah, I agree. I did have something to say. Um, <laughs> so I, we've had this idea of, of um, conflict and arc mm-hmm. and all of this, but I think somehow transgression is more than conflict, right? It's more loosely defined. For instance, if I wake up one morning and leave my apartment go to take the elevator and there's a homeless guy sleeping in my elevator. That's a transgression, right? That person has transgressed. They're not probably supposed to sleep in my elevator. Right. I don't necessarily have a conflict with that person. I might really feel for them, but I have a problem on my hands as the person who lives in the building. I have several options available to me, but suddenly like when I see that homeless person in the elevator, like it's the possible beginnings of a story for me, right? I go, oh, wow, shit. I thought I was going to have a, do- a normal day in the normal zone. I didn't want any trouble today. I just wanted to get to work on time for once. And now there's this homeless person sleeping in my elevator. And what do I do about that? They've encroached on my normal zone, and I have to figure out what I'm going to do. Am I going to help them? Am I going to call the superintendent, have them kicked out? Am I going to call the police? Am I going to call social services? Am I going to feed them? And am I going to invite them to sleep on my couch? Or are you just going to use the stairs? Right. right. That's what I would do, actually, because I'm would from be, the Midwest. And it's telling any, any way. So yeah. there you go. So it tells something about you, how, how you respond. Yeah, meaningful transgression. transgression challenges right. the character. And even if they are not the ones who transgressed, if somebody else transgresses on them, comes into their normal zone, then that can drag them out of their normal zone. And suddenly they are forced to make choices that they would rather not have to make. And so that reveals their character. Right. I forgot the question. I, I forgot the question, too. But uh, here's another question. This comes in from uh, Stephanie, who writes to say, Will Willigard, for pity's sake. <laughs> She's going to listen. I've gotten she, in trouble. She's our number one fan. Really? She is. Yeah. Oh, no. Stephanie. So it's really it's just questions. for you, Stephanie. She wants to know, will I ever write a short story? Oh, Stephanie. And That's you know, the sweetest question. I love that. I, lo- I love it, too. I think it's a rhetorical question, no pun intended, but... Uh, because, of course, she's going to write a short story if she does it. But I think an approach to writing a short story, if you're sitting there and you're stuck and you say, I want to write a short story, how can you begin? Yeah, well, that's, what's the, that's the beauty of, that, of this concept of transgression, is you can pick any transgression. You could say, okay, a spaceship lands in the front yard. Boom, that's a transgression. How is your character going to deal with that? Right. You can take it from any point of view. You can be the person in the house. You can be the person next door. You can be the police officer who gets the call. You can be the space alien. Whatever it is, like once something crosses a boundary, somebody crosses a boundary, then all you have to do is write that scene and think about what causes led up to it and what the consequences of it are. And then whenever you feel like your story is starting to get boring, just throw in another transgression. The police show up and they decide, you know what, this is too messed up. I'm about to go on vacation tomorrow morning. I'm going to keep driving. That's right. transgression. Right. Because right. his normal zone is he's going on vacation. Uh-huh. Right. And right. so there's all these, at any point, when you feel like you're in a dead end, just look around and be like, well, what could my character do that would be a transgression? Like, even if you're just trying to show your character, this is the scene in which I show my parents, my character's 
how they normally engage with their parents at home on a holiday. Fine, but if all they do is the right things, like somebody's cooking the turkey, somebody's mixing the drinks, somebody's playing the piano, then we don't really learn anything about them. But the minute that somebody puts their wet, sloppy drink on top of the fancy piano and knocks something off the mantle and calls mom a liar, then the story gets legs and it gets life. And the, the writing becomes so much more fun because basically it's just trouble. You're just making trouble. I bet Thanksgiving's really fun at your house. No, because it's Midwestern. Actually, <laughs> it is pretty fun at our house. But yeah. our, uh, this is the reason I started talking about transgressions to my students is because I think that I think the work of being a fiction writer day after day after day, having the discipline to go back in there and just plug away at a long project, it requires a kind of steady hand, a kind of like, you know, dogged tenacity and decency that it seems to me that a lot of fiction writers, not all, but a lot of fiction writers are just like basic, good guy, decent people mm -hmm. who like to make trouble on the page and don't make a whole lot of trouble in their lives. And we have, I think a lot of people have a tendency, a lot of fiction writers have the tendency, especially those that you meet like in grad school, because especially if, they're, if they've made it to grad school, then they've saved enough money and worked hard enough and gotten decent grades enough and made a plan and applied and done all these things. They're good people. They're not True. stirring yeah. up drama everywhere yeah. they go necessarily. And so they, we just have like a real tendency. Maybe it's because I live and teach often in the Midwest too. We have a real tendency to avoid conflict and tension and drama. And so, you know, we write these scenes where like, the family meets for Thanksgiving and they never say anything mean to their faces. They just go in the other room and whisper a few na nasty mm -hmm. things. And that's just not as much fun on the page. It can be done really well so that the subtext shines through, but it's hard to do that. I mean, and I think that, that I, I, too many times I just saw my students like not having enough drama on the page, not letting their characters mess up, make mistakes, do the wrong thing, say the bad thing. You know, and so I was just like, how can I make, how can I really hit the point home that the storytelling livens up when your characters misbehave? Yeah. But I should just say that like a transgression doesn't have to be bad behavior. If you're in an environment where everybody's behaving badly, then a good deed is transgressive. Mm. Mm -hmm. Charles true. Baxter does that a lot. Like he has this great story, Fen's dad's mother, where the main character is this really sweet. Up, you know, upright citizen, like a lot of Baxter's characters are. And his mother at some point is a little bit senile and she tries to give away her coat to a homeless person. And that's like the big transgression of the whole story. Wow. Because, you know, it's just like, she's trying to do this thing that's too nice and, is, mm -hmm. and her son has to stop her. And he's a good mm -hmm. guy too. You know, so like it can, you know, a good deed can be a transgression, but it's, it's just not usually that way. You know, I'm, I'm thinking analogously, the transgressions and I'm thinking okay so like as a writer you want to put your character in a situation where they're going to be outside the normal progress of their life is this can you accomplish this the same way by having incident or situation impact them I'm mean, this is I'm not thinking fiction right now but I think like oh die hard guy goes to a Christmas party and then terrorists attack the the building, but that—that's not really a transgression in the same way. Sure, but it, it is. But it they puts him the in the building, and he's been doing all kinds of transgressions along the way, right? Isn't he in the middle of a divorce? He's in the middle of a divorce, oh, and he's yeah. sneaking through the building. He's okay. not where he's supposed yeah. to be. Everybody, if you look at any good story, there's a million transgressions going on in every scene. Oh, right. interesting. So little it, things. So it's not like the big transgression is the inciting inc 
incident necessarily. It's just stuff that just keeps happening. Keeps, keeps happening. Sparking up the story and, and keeping wow, us excited okay. and keeping things I off see. kilter. And, uh, like, for instance, uh, you read a story at the undisclosed uh, winery mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> called Little Things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you brought some of that with us, with mm-hmm. you. And, and uh, you know, I was reading this story, and, and that's when I realized I, 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 I read it thinking, okay, now I'm going to find out where the transgression is. And it's like I've got, I've circled about two dozen things, you know. So, I don't know, maybe you can share some of that with us? And yeah, do you want me to talk about it or to read a little or what? Why don't you read the first paragraph? Because... You know, we talk. We talk about uh, you talk about the normal zone, mm-hmm. right? And that the transgression is moving away from the normal zone. It strikes me that the first paragraph of this story establishes this woman's normal zone, but it certainly isn't normal in terms of what we would consider normal. Yeah, and then the right? second the second paragraph is the is the instigation, like the transgression. Her neighbor comes over. Right. Yeah. You want to read some of that? All right, I'll read the first. Can I read the, the first two paragraphs? You can. All right. You can read as much as you like. This is called Little Things, and it's, it's online if you're listening. Um, it's online at Booth Magazine, um, if you go in their archive. I am the sitter of last resort, gray-skinned and riddled with bulges, of mysterious provenance with, un- with an unplaceable accent. I am neither fond of children nor particularly concerned with their safety. <laughs> Compared to the new houses replacing those around mine, my home must look like a warren of mysteries. From the outside, a brick husk whose time-warped windows are knitted over by vines, while the inside is dim and reddish like the chambers of a body. My dog Rosenberg, a clumsy Great Dane I couldn't presume to control, has broken the skin of strangers more than once. I sign no petitions, support no fundraisers, and offer no holiday treats. The neighbors exhaust their options before ringing my doorbell. So it's a a measure of her family's desperation that Olivia is here again, this cultish 10-year-old from next door for the second time this week. I realize her family's in crisis, but have they no friends? Maybe not. They're the weedless sort, always out sprinkling something or polishing their vehicles. But the girl, Olivia, she is graceless and limp these days, gone to seed. Her little brother broke into the world last week, three three months early, less than two pounds. Her mother, though healed, refuses to leave the hospital while her father goes home each night, a phantom shuttling Olivia from one sitter to another each morning. After a decade of the princess life, she is learning the wound of abandonment. To be honest, I like her better this way. She's quieter. (laughs) So, a stranger (laughs) comes to town, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's right. That's that's so good. She's so unpleasant. I know. know. It was so fun to write. I bet. So, this story, the idea came to me. I don't know why. You know, sometimes just like one little nugget will come to you. And yeah. the nugget was, I imagined, I, where I live in Milwaukee, the houses are really close together. I live in the city limits, and uh, our, our yards are really narrow, with just these little narrow driveways that separate the houses. Right. And um, so you can hear your neighbors all the time. And I just imagined what if somebody like, sort of like me was sitting in their backyard and they heard their next-door neighbor lady calling them a witch, like on the phone. I just imagined this younger, you know, sort of more perfect neighbor lady on the phone bitching about her old neighbor lady and calling her a witch. Hmm. And then I thought, well, is she a witch? Like, what is it about her that makes this other woman consider her witch-like? And then, so then this story sort of evolved. But it ends up being the little girl who comes over who has been accused of being a witch. 
And right. so they both are sort of witchy in their ways, and they do certain... It's not... There's nothing actually magical going on in the story, but there's a few weird things that happen that they kind of... Well, she burns... She burns a She burns doll. a lot of things. She likes, the, the, the old lady best. likes to burn stuff. The, the old that, lady that has is a like lot. the best. <laughs> she <laughs> burns a doll. And she makes the little girl complicit in this. Right? <laughs> well, the shall little... we burn shall we burn that picture? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of transgression, yeah. Oh, I was yeah. saying yeah, cuz like you know, just to be a woman, especially an older woman, and to not be interested in kids or even interested in being nice to kids. That's a transgression right there. Like, in her nature, she is transgressive. And the little girl, it turns out, is too. At first we thought, or she thinks, you know, that this little girl is a sort of princess who she's going to be irritated by. But then it turns out that the little girl is also kind of witchy and transgressive and was right. drawn to her for those reasons and that they may have some kind of symbiosis. I like the, uh, I'm going to read one little paragraph where for some reason this woman wants to burn things. She says... The little girl, she says, it's good for the soul, burning things, I say, nudging the matchbook at her. She's 10, right? <laughs> Until she finally takes it. After a few clumsy strikes, she gets the fire going. I pull, I pull one of the wooden children off the mantel, a yellowing boy the length and weight of a bowling pin. <laughs> and I lay him on the flames. The boy's thick lacquer flares up in marvelous greens, and we watched the fire strip the painted clothes from his body. Oh, that's so <laughs> evil. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, that's, that's, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's unfair to, uh, maybe if you haven't read the story, you don't get it. But, but, but this is kind of how it goes. With, uh, and then it turns out that this girl was being teased by these boys. Right. And then she made some wishes. And one of the wishes she made caused, she thinks, may have caused a tree limb to fall on one of the boys and injure him. So she's wondering if she might not have superpowers. So here's these two, this right. old crone and this little girl kind of witching it out together. And then the boys come up and, and terrorize them at the window. Mm -hmm. And the girl goes nuts and goes taken off after him with a stick. <laughs> and I guess probably beats the shit out of them, and, and the neighbors come over and they're complaining and stuff like that. But, but the old woman is she's not having it. She's like, no, no, no. She's she wasn't here. She's <laughs> come back later. Go, you know, and protects the little girl. You know, right? It, she doesn't like kids. So there's a cha a change happens, right? There's a consequence of all this somehow. Mm -hmm. In your craft talk, I think you talked something about shame, mm -hmm. that transgression can lead to shame. And people will do anything to avoid shame, right? Because it's just too hard to, to accept. Right. So you'll re-rationalize your whole life around a shameful incident. Mm -hmm. And this little girl feels shame. First the shame of maybe she wished for this kid to have damage. And then you finally realize that her brother was born premature and is probably going to die. And that she had wished and wished for a baby. And then one day she didn't, she wished for not to not have a baby. Yeah. Right? And she's carrying that with herself. So. Yeah. Now you don't need to read the story. No. <laughs> I think that she's, yeah, and I think that's why, like, I think the old woman was like, why does this girl want to come over to my house when I don't even like kids? What's, mm -hmm. Why is she here? And then right. eventually the girl kind of admits that she thought maybe, maybe the old woman would sort of understand her or was maybe witchy as well and kind of had some understanding of what it is to be a bad girl, to be a bad female I think that when we try to 
when we've done a really bad transgression, then it's really hard for us to re-enter our normal zone, right? We can't, like, that's why I right. think that a story, I think that, you know, another way to think about it, like a story without consequences is an anecdote to me because it restores the, the, the hero to their original normal zone. An anecdote is a blip. Yep. And you go right back into your normal zone the way it used to be. The but a story goodness, right? yeah. changes right. you in such a way that you go. You, you may try to go back to your normal zone, but it is different. It doesn't look the same, or it's bigger now, or it's misshapen. It looks misshapen, whatever. And so I think that you know, in a way, the girl, the you know, each character has to do their own transgressions. So the you know the 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 old woman is transgressive by rejecting all these norms of female stuff and. She rejects the girl. She makes the girl do slightly bad things, not really bad things, et cetera. But the girl, you know, she has done this thing that she thinks is bad, and she's looking for a, a way to, re, to, to, to live with that. Right. So she tries to enter this other person's normal zone and say, okay, is there this other way that I could live? Is there somebody, I'm not fitting into my old normal zone. Where can I go to glom onto somebody who would understand me so that I could live with myself? Genius. That's exactly that. So the, the yeah. arc of the story is to take the transgressive and try to turn it towards a resolution. Mm -hmm. So like, right? Once you've transgressed, you have to live with that. You have to, if right. it's a consequential, meaningful transgression, mm -hmm. then you can't just say it never happened. And you have to like right. find a way to confront it within yourself and say, what does it mean about me that I did that? And how right. am I going to live with that? And you, right. people do that in all kinds of messed up ways. That's why it's usually not just one transgression. You know, if I, if I call my sister a bitch, you know, I could then do a lot of things afterwards, right? I, I can't just live with that, right? I right. could live with that and just be like, one of the ways that people live with it is they say, well, she had it coming. Yeah, right. Right? They redefine their past story <clears throat> so that it justifies the transgression and therefore the transgression's not a transgression, or so they tell themselves. And right. if you can tell yourself that successfully enough, then you can move on. But if you can't, if it needles at you, then you have to like examine it and reconfigure it, et cetera, and do something mm -hmm. afterwards. So I, want to, I yeah. just want to read a bit of the prose here because here's this woman who, who states right up front that she has no empathy for kids, doesn't like them or whatever. And so we're finally, now we're on page seven, you know, we're, we're four-fifths of the way through here, and, and they're talking about the girls admitting that, you know, she wished for the boy to get hurt. And uh, she says, I've wished for all sorts of things. Sure, I say. And then she says, I wished for the baby. Of course. I did a long time ago. I wished for the baby. This is the 10-year-old. Everybody wants a brother, I say, thinking of my own, who never made it across the border. Then the little girl says, but then I didn't, you know. I watched all her child feelings flickering under the skin of her face yeah. until it gets so bad, even I have to look away. God, that just kills me. I mean, the, you know, the fact that this woman who doesn't like kids can't even stand sharing the shame that this girl is, is giving her. I mean, that's just so powerful. Oh, thanks. You know, it really, uh, but anyhow, so then she took a stick from the basket and went after those <laughs> asshole kids. It's so fun to write a character who misbehaves. It's right. way yeah. more fun to write characters yeah. who misbehave it than is. to write good characters. It is. I, and then they can be yeah. good in their own ways. Uh-huh. Like, she was being good there. She saw it. She was there for that girl. Yeah, she was. She was and then she defends her at the mm -hmm. end. Yeah. I have, I have an opposite problem. I, I, I took the note to heart. Love all your characters. 
So I was working on a novel that stalled out about page 140 when I realized that it was just a bunch of really good guys doing a bunch of nice shit. <laughs> yeah. You know? And there was like, okay, this is fun hanging out with these guys, but it's like being at Magnuson's for Bastille Day. <laughs> right. You know? Somebody needs to fall in the lake. Right. We'll but see if we can make that happen. No, I, I, I did that on the 4th of July. It was not good. Oh, okay. You fell in the lake? Yeah, I was sitting on the ed- ed- edge of my dock and uh, watching the fireworks, and, and my sandal fell off, and I just I saw it floating in the water. So I thought I would just kind of hop in and pick it up, and then I kind of cooked it, and it was bad. Oh, no. Anyways, <laughs> that wasn't a transgression. That was stupid. It was definitely a transgression. No, it was like I wasn't going to lose my shoe. You left your normal It's an zone. anecdote. What we just experienced, people, was an oh, anecdote. That's right. That was an anecdote. There you go. Because you're going to do it because again. Because nothing came of it. If you cracked your head open, and right. then your wife said, oh, you know what, you got to drink less, and then you had to start trying to drink less, whatever, that would be consequences. But if it That'd just fell in for, you got a little wet, you went inside and changed and went on with your night, it's an anecdote. Right. But he's still carrying it as shame. And so what he does so. is he invites all of us out here to get shit-faced to create a new normal zone Maybe. for himself. <laughs> I think you're psychoanalyzing your dear friend here now. <laughs> Isn't there a rule against psychoanalysis it's in okay. Acme? It's okay. I'm fucked up. It's my <laughs> own. I admit it. It's my own form of transgression. <laughs> you know, you were talking about like a, a, you know, all your characters were nice guys doing good things. You know. Yep. Well, I uh, I heard an interview with Mario Puzo at one point talking about The Godfather. You know, and the thing is, is is essentially he conceived of the Corleone family as they were all good guys. That's yeah. what that was his thought. And of course, look what they're doing. Right. You know, but they're still going to church and they're respectful well, they to each are. other. And they're, and they're, their they're, normal zone is so transgressive right. that for them to do good things in that normal zone is a transgression. That's right. But <laughs> that, that's the engine that moves the story. Because mm-hmm. you like these people who are. I, I think Tony Soprano is one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. ever because I love that guy. He's great. But he's a, you know, he's a homicidal. The transgressions maniac. are baked into the formula. We expect right. him to transgress so that when he just cooks eggs for breakfast, we're like, oh, yeah. that's so bizarre. It's interesting to watch a, gang, a, a gangster killer, right. like pick his daughter up from soccer, right. <laughs> and, and he goes to a therapist for Christ's uh-huh. sake. Oh, it's just magnificent, <laughs> uh-huh. and so that's what's built into it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's baked into it. You say, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I like that. Yeah. So maybe you should make all of your characters be bad guys, like somehow baked into some bad patterns. And then when they do in, like good things, it feels sort of earned and not so sentimental. Yeah, well, the mistake I'm making is I'm sort of writing historical fiction, so these are like sort of based on my immigrant family members. Mm. So it's very hard to uh, uh, detach yourself from that. The one character who's the most interesting and who does the most fucked up stuff is the one character who's completely made up. He's not based on any family member. And this guy, you'll follow him anywhere because he does do oddball right. stuff and everything. But then he's, it's kind of weighed down by this lovely community. and uh, it's, So it's hard. I, I realize I, I need to write past my family Yeah. because I don't want my grandfather to be an asshole. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and your progression as a writer, yeah. so what you've done is you were working on that novel which had to do with your family, and now mm-hmm. you're, just, you're just doing your memoir. Yeah, don't right? tell anybody. No, it's fine. Okay. You know, yeah. it's it's you know it's it's the greatest you know thing about being a regular musician that you you know could imagine doing. You know, because he's just he, Rick is a musician who made a living doing it, who worked nine to five basically, right? Yep. 
and picked up your daughter from, you know, it's just the glamour. Didn't kill anybody. (laughs) You didn't kill anybody. You weren't on tour with Sammy Hagar. It's it's all good, you know? But like, I think like approaching that, like your life and what it means can free you up to do a novel where you, you have to have bad things happen. Yeah. You know, the memoir is not dependent necessarily on horrible things happening to the people yeah. in the memoir. You know, well, you I, need- there's hope for me. I mean, I do have some short stories where really terrible things happen. Yeah. So, but those are short stories. Small ball, as you would call it. Yeah, that is small ball. And your, your idea of a short story is like it's, it's an extended haiku or something. <laughs> page. It, it's a Tonka plus two. <laughs> I think that a lot of memoirs have... At their core, like the fundamental transgression of telling secrets. There. I think that there usually, you usually when a memoir sparks for us, the moments when we get most excited reading a memoir are either when, like, it's a big, you know, something dramatic happens, like in Wild by Cheryl Strait, you know, right. she's doing these adventures, and that's exciting. But if it's not that sort of memoir, then if it's a sort of, like, personal memoir, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear my soul to you, the moments where we get a charge is when we feel like we're being a told, told a secret that they hide from or that most people would hide from the rest of the world. Well, so they're laying does. bare this this revelation of their yeah. innermost embarrassing, whatever, you know, shameful kind of secrets. And we go, ooh, I want to read that. Right. That's transgressive. I secrets mean, are always transgressive. Right. I, I just, this makes me think about my father, like, and, and being Midwestern, you know. Mm-hmm. My dad is, don't ever tell anybody what you are thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody, uh-huh. you know? Mine too. And that's what the memoir does. This is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not be pretty, but it's honest, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I'm thinking, Rick, that if, if you, that, that the process of writing your story is going to open up things with that novel. Oh, I think it's the, definitely going to. Which I want to, it's about sausage makers from Croatia. It should be the Sausage Kings. Come right. on, man. Good name. Who wouldn't buy that book? And you know, you I'd talk- love to do the cover art. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, go. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> you talk about, uh, in, our, in our last session, you were talking about how you would go do something in order to experience it so you could write it in a story. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually made sausage last week. Did you? At home or, two, two or like in ago. a factory? Nope, at home. Okay. At first, I took a course where we butchered an entire hog wow. into its constituent parts. Oh, my goodness. Was it sauce. dead when you started? Yeah, yeah. They okay. just delivered the carcass. Okay. Um, I mean, I've seen them on the other end of that process. My mom was a farmer's daughter, so, you know, it's not a right. shocking thing. But uh, So then uh, my wife, who... <sighs> <laughs> she, she likes to buy me cooking stuff for Father's Day and birthday and all of this. Excellent. She's no dummy, right? Because then who ends up doing all the cooking? Mm-hmm. Me, because I get really good at it. So really you love it, too. She got, she got me a hand crank sausage maker. And so I got a pork butt, and, and I, found, I looked around online, and I found the closest recipe I could to my, my grandfather's Croatian garlicky smoked sausage. Uh-huh. Does it have a name? Chrisman's Sausage. Okay. Oh, right, <laughs> you're looking for like a no, like Chrisman yeah, worst or it's, something. It's, it's smoked sausage. Chrisworst. No, you know, like they say, you know, what are what are uh, French fries called in France? Are called fries. You know, what, in, in the Chrisman family, what is Chrisman sausage called? Sausage. It's it's the be, it's the be all and end all. You know what we call sausage in Wisconsin? What? Or maybe this is Chicago. I don't know. In my upbringing, sausage. 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 That's real Chicago. That's real Chicago. Sausage. But it, it bleeds Chicago. into w- Wisconsin. Yeah, my it mom's from Chicago. Milwaukee. My dad, yeah. 
So I showed, so she got me this, and it's this little hand crank plastic thing. And I went up to Wands and got the pork butt, and I cut it up and freeze it so it so it grinds and had all the slurry with the garlic and the salt and the pepper and the, the little bit of cure number one because it's going to take two or three hours to smoke, so you don't want it to go bad, so you put some cure in it and all of this. And it's funny, I, I get it all ground up, and I'm sitting there, and I've, I've got... You've got the hopper that you feed the meat into, the hand crank on the right, and on the left you've got the intestines that the meat is coming out into. So I've got the I'm holding on to that on the left, feeding the meat in, cranking it on the right. But there's I need a third hand to stuff it into the mm-hmm. <laughs> use your nose. Mm. No, I did. I, so I had this kind of thing that would plunge it in, and I set my chin on top <laughs> of it. Oh my god! And as I'm cranking and pulling out the sausage, I'm pushing down with my chin like this, right? So for 45 minutes, I've got my face right in all this garlic, ground pork, and seasoned stuff. I couldn't even think about eating it for about three days. Right. Yeah. But when I did, holy shit. That's good? Outstanding. Why didn't you bring us any? I ran out. He served it at a, they served it at, at the meat store in your town. Right? They did. They, I took some up to Juan. He, you know, he's like, he gave... He sold me the pork butt, and so I bring it back. We go up to the butcher shop at 5 o'clock on Sundays, and, and Juan has grilled all of this, you know, tri-tip and ribs and everything, and so I took him a couple rings of sausage, and he grilled those up too, and it held its own for sure. But anyhow, so, so now that I've actually made sausage, uh, maybe I can have somebody, you know, like lose his finger in a grinder or something. You know, like, I, I hate to, to go for the broad writing metaphor, you know, but man, that, that, you know, that when you can't, you don't want to eat the thing you've cooked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this happens. Mm-hmm. I, I made a, 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 a brisket over 4th of July and it was bad. I had to put it in the fridge and let it sit for days, but I could, I could eat the shit because I worked so hard doing it. Took you know? 23 hours. But man, talk done. about that with like writing something. Mm-hmm. Like, who hates their work more than anybody else is the writer? All the, the hands are up, yeah. Yeah, you know, oh, it sucks because you, you know, you're just too close to it. You yep. can't see any beauty in the thing because, oh man. Yeah, but you know, then you lead it, you let it sit for a week or whatever, and then I go back and I read and I go, ha, this guy. <laughs> yeah, but give it like ten years. Some people, you know, like my my first book, I think was ten years ago, and oh. I can hardly look at it. I can hardly Seriously. open it. Yeah, because you can't you people can't change it. People want to ask me about it. I'm like, I don't remember that. It's a black yeah. hole. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, that does happen. You forget mm-hmm. what was in your book. You, you go to write something. Occasionally, else. you'll crack it open and be like, oh, that, that sentence not bad, but like, mm-hmm. I can't I can't keep going with it. Right. Mm-hmm. People yeah. who re- I mean maybe maybe there will be things that I'll still want to read from like. A decade later, but I think that's what not everything. Do. That's so. For like, sure. if, you, if you're a poet of national repute, mm-hmm. you might. Are, take, you, are you rolling your p? I'm rolling my p u t. Prute. You might, you know, take your your slim volume off the shelf <laughs> <laughs> and look at page thirty two of sixty one and go, <laughs> "I love this poem." <laughs> Well, you guys are like Magnus and my, No, my, my volume may be no, many things, it but it's not going to be I... slim. <laughs> yeah, I know. Got, you know, I'm like page 400 of my memoir, and I'm like just graduating from third grade. <laughs> <laughs> but it's those early years, it's the formative years. Early. Yes. Interesting. And we're all, we were talking, we were 
you were raised Catholic, as was I. I was, yes. So we were all born with original transgression. Yes. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were born outside we the normal zone. We did some nasty shit in the womb. We did. <laughs> So you got original sin until <laughs> I didn't, and you're outside. That was totally cool. I was reading scripture. Were you not raised Catholic? No, Episcopal. Oh, see, I oh, happy Catholic. Wow, that's, yeah, happy, happy Catholic. Catholic. Yeah, we're yeah. far we, less guilt. We go to Episcopal. Forty-three percent less yeah. guilt. Right. Well, actually, every percent. Everybody in my neighborhood. Okay, when I grew up, they were all Catholic. Every fucking one of them, except yeah. us. Big except houses, big families. Big families, yeah. yeah. They, they, we, we had three, but everybody else, yeah, five, yeah, seven. Yeah, up the street from us, nine. there was nine kids, ten kids, seven kids, all over the neighborhood. I remember I'd get invited. I remember there's a family named Pierce in my neighborhood, and they had, they, I don't know, they must have had 11 kids. And you get invited, I got invited over to dinner, mm-hmm. and they had like two tables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like others, you know, like, yeah. oh my God. I have a cousin who has nine kids. They had <sighs> to get a, one of those people hauler vans. They couldn't even use a normal car. <laughs> a people hauler van. See, that's transgressive. I'm just that's saying. <laughs> Especially nowadays, if to sit in the back. Nowadays it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is. That's a lot. That's a lot. Well, uh, I I wonder when we curse on Acme, is that transgressive? No. 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 It'd be transgressive. That's our normal zone. If right? we clean our shit that's, up, that's then it would be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm finding I'm objecting to this. You know, just in terms of stories and anecdotes and stuff, what do you guys, where do you guys think jokes fit in all of that? Do you think jokes are just like a single transgressive piece of flash fiction? Yeah, you set up a pattern. It's like the setup, the follow-through that reinforces the setup, and then the surprise, the twist. That's the right. punchline. Right? Every joke has that. Every joke has a, a setup, a follow-through, and, and a twist, like a, 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 yeah. a, a surprise. And then there's then and there's the surprise a is the transgression. This reminds me, I wish we could call up a YouTube video right now. If, if our audience of one, you're ever bored, look up Jerry Seinfeld on the New York Times did a thing about how to write a joke. Mm-hmm. Just this five-minute video about writing a joke about chimpanzees. It's amazing. It's like, it's like just, you know, how he sets all the things. Here's these chimps, and then, like, you know, he turns it on its head at the right time. Do you remember the joke? It's, too, it's it wasn't a, like like a like a joke a real comedian tells you isn't like short it was it must have been a 750 word mm-hmm. thing you know I'll check that out. yeah it's yeah. it's really interesting and it, it that's how it follows it it it's not an anecdote it's something that's set up to trigger a humor mm-hmm. I, I, I know we can't use trigger in the same way as as you know because people have triggers no but it is it's exactly the it's same trigger thing. so you that's set this it's an involuntary like reaction trip. it's like a tripwire a tripwire trip you set yeah. this and then and everybody knows it's there even but you're going to fall over it anyways you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. i don't know that's a that's a different kind of thing bob this is if wherever we needed a joke this would be the time i've already told my favorite joke on act remember <laughs> oh yeah I, I do that's lady i wrote the gun yeah yeah yeah, yeah right that was transgressive you didn't tell the one about don't mind if I do. You can't tell that one Acme. Don't mind if I do. That's when the guy's bent over the... No, sorry. <laughs> oh, I can't. No, I can't oh, tell. Oh, just, it's very inappropriate. This really, this really isn't your day. Is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry. This, right. Okay. We've, told, <laughs> we've told the same joke so many times on this show that, that we just refer to them. <laughs> By number now. I like that. Yeah, no, I like yeah. that when you're with your friends and you can just... <laughs> my favorite punchline, maybe you'll know the joke. Get in a little closer. Is when the Pope says... I'm not going to... Actually, I'll tell you the whole joke later, but not now. Okay. I'm not going to do it. I what's, take it back. What's the punchline? You fuckers are all right. 
Would that be Pope Francis or John Paul? It's any Pope you want. Any pope but it's always a good a joke. Pope. When you get the Pope to swear, it's always funny. Because that's a transgression. You know what the former Pope's favorite breakfast was? What? Ex Benedict. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> oh. So coming to you from the shores of Winnebago, Winnebago. Yeah. Where, the, where the bar is lowered completely your, into the water. We need your snare drum over here. Yeah, yeah but I'm Rim shot. Are we, are we about ready to exhaust this and play off into the, into so. the sunset? Any, anybody else have an issue with uh, Bob? No, Does anybody I don't have, have an issue issues. with Bob? <laughs> I, I, I've I, got I, an issue with Bob. I'll tell you later about it. Okay. <laughs> so stay tuned because we may be back with that someday. You fuckers I, are all right. You fuckers are all right. <laughs> I'm glad you joined Acme. Thank you. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Valerie, it. for this joining us. This is very nice. You're very hearing about it. Fan, very fantastic. Thank she you She came all the way up from Milwaukee. Did I say that right? Yeah. That was good. You're Thank a quick you. learner. Yeah, I'm a quick learner. I'm a music, musician. I got the... Everybody yeah. can pronounce it easier after two drinks. I'm Milwaukee. Wait till you hear how I pronounce it after four. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. This is Acme signing off and wishing you a pleasant evening and happy writing. You fuckers are all right.